Right, we're back at it. Just me and thee. Just me and you, pal. Sensemakers brought to you by uh, the Infinite Learners podcast. Bit of a twist on, on what we're doing, isn't it? Just me and you talking and trying to make sense of the things that we're experiencing in school ourselves and other people are um, in schools all over the world. I think part of our role as school leaders is trying to make sense of the things around us, isn't it? So make a sense of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> at times, at times. And what are you looking forward to about this one, Al? What do you want to get stuck into? Yeah, we've got loads to talk about. Um, for me, I'd love to look through a lot of the gems of wisdom that we've had from 70-odd guests that we've had on previous pods. I'd like to, to really hit home on those discussions that we have when we're walking the dogs and we're trying to process the day. You don't record those conversations, there, but they're often the best. And then probably the third thing is, and it's going to be the topic of today's uh, podcast, is that putting ourselves out there. We, we've got no guests on, so we're putting ourselves in the arena and putting our vulnerabilities out there on display. Yeah, it's a good good sort of topic to to start with because we had these conversations, didn't we, when we talked about just doing a, a podcast as me and you. It was like, well, there's no distraction. There's no third person to turn to. Um, it's all on us, so... Thanks for joining us uh, today, if you're listening, and um, we hope that you find what we're going to chat about useful and um, some some value and some purpose to it. Um, and being in the arena is um, certainly something that you feel, isn't it, as a, as a leader in a school? You're constantly eyes on. You're constantly being sort of uh, sized up and, and assessed at times, if you like, in terms of how you deal with things. And I think this is this is chucking us in at the deep end as well. Something completely different for me and you, isn't it? Yeah, completely. I know you've got a really lovely quote to start with, haven't you? Well, it's, um, speech. well, we'll start with uh, Theodore Roosevelt's very patriarchal um, man in the arena. Um, I think the, the first time I, I properly saw this phrase being used in school was um, with a, an ex-colleague, good friend of mine called uh, Richard, uh, Richard Stockings at Alice Smith used to talk about being a man in the arena a lot. And it really contextualised this idea of just having the bravery to have a go at something, which, again, I think we're doing every day in schools, aren't we? The bravery to, to handle a difficult situation, have a difficult conversation, to do something that maybe you feel quite nervous about at times. I think we are dealing with that so regularly. So we'll start with the Theodore Roosevelt's words. And he wrote, um, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and who comes up short again and again, because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end of triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. It's a strong one, isn't it, to start off? Tell you what, quite the orator, Theo Roosevelt, wasn't it? Yeah, I like it. For me there, I love that bit about the bravery to have a go. I think it links in really well with... As young leaders, you want to know all the answers, and it's just not possible. You you don't know everything, and it's okay to not know everything because I think we've had it before. The answers are the answers are all in the room, and it's just as a leader, I think what's important there is to know where those answers are and not trying to bluff it out, thinking that you do know everything. Yeah, our friend uh, Ryan Campbell, we used to work with in Manila. I think he used to talk a lot about if you know all the answers, you you're missing the point. 
mm. because you're not surrounding yourself with a team that have got different diverse skills and a skill set of um, trying to look at things from different angles. Um, what's been in the arena for you then, Al? What, what, what does it boil down to? Yeah, good, good question. And when I was making notes on this, I was, I was thinking very much about it comes down to confidence, doesn't it? Being in the arena is, is about having confidence. And when I was trying to define confidence from my perspective, I think confidence is very much about the experiences you've been through, which then provide you with the evidence to show self-belief. So in the sense of being in the arena, I don't think you can really be in the arena if you don't have the confidence to be in the arena. And it comes down to that. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because some of the most fearless people are, are the young people that we sort of educate every day. And they're the opposite, aren't they? They're, they're fearless because they don't have necessarily negative previous experiences. Yeah, so they, don't, they don't carry any scar tissue from yeah. trying to have a go before and being knocked back or being rejected. So how does that work then? What, why do you think it is that the more confident you are, the more likely you are to put yourself in the arena? We've talked a lot, haven't we, previously about the concept of lived experiences and your habitus are where you're in your comfort zone. And, and I think human nature to sort of be in that situation where you're out of your comfort zone and it's that, that emotion of flight or fight, isn't it? And it's how you deal with that. And I think as young as young people and their brains forming, that flight or fight is much more heightened, isn't it? And they can deal with that, I think, in a, in a, in a really strong way. I, as you get older, I, from my own personal experience, I think that the flight phase and the fear that involves in that does tend to hold you back a little bit. But I think it all comes down to your own lived experiences. What what have you what good experiences have you had of being in the arena? What's your negative? And then how you then process that to, to serve your your what you want to do next. Take you back to your um, your early days teaching then. Yeah. Maybe maybe your teaching practices. Yeah. What kind of things do you remember messing <laughs> up with and really dropping the ball with and thinking, oh no, and you, you remember them to this day. Thanks. It's not even going by that far, is it? That's <laughs> <Last> week. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right. And I think as you all get older, you accept mistakes much more than what you did when you were younger. I remember yeah, some crazy stuff when you're a young teacher, isn't it, where you've, you've just handled situations completely wrong. I, I remember going into a, a conversation with, with a parent who wanted a one-on-one -on -one interview she was clearly very upset or something. I'd, I'd wrote on a, I remember it was an, an IEP that back in the old days. Um, and I'd just been really truthful and honest in this IEP, saying that this this boy had recently had a, a fight and he, he 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 was showing aggressive tendencies towards another another student. And this mum just teed up massive style. And it, I didn't have any support in the room, which I should have had and I should have requested. It was the end of the school day. She was really emotional and, and and I should have just acknowledged that yeah, maybe maybe it's the wrong thing to put on IEP, you know. And I never forget that conversation. I never forget actually the senior leader that then stepped in at about half past four. It'd been going on a long time to rescue me. Oh. It was yeah, just little ones like that, and it just stick with you and you think I shouldn't ever be one-on-one, -on -one really. And that's what I've took forward from, from learning that is if I'm helping any of my colleagues make sure we've got another person in the room, I've always stuck with me. 
And was there was there a reflection immediately after that where you thought, oh no, I'd messed up, or we we sort of digging your heels and thinking, no, I'm right, she's wrong. She's yeah, I mean, I said that's a good shout. I think as a young teacher, yeah, you want to dig your heels in, as, and you don't realise you're wrong. And uh, I think we talked about that one from a an old teacher as well who I contacted during COVID to admit I was wrong. It took a good 10, 15 years to to contact this lady to say, you know what. I was a bit of a dick. I'm really sorry. I acknowledge that now. And she emailed me back and said, you know, I appreciate that. I could see that you were very strong, strong mind, that you were a good person. But yeah, the situation and the context got away with us a little bit. It's a big thing to do that. What made you yeah. decide to do that then? No, no, man. I think it was, it was when we started our process, didn't we, of doing the, the infinite learners. I wanted to make sure that we're no skeletons in the closet and uh, contact people who, who had a different opinion to me and trying to understand where they were coming from and through that period of reflection we had just trying to be better yeah i think the opinion piece is big when you talk about um being in the arena because you know how many times as sport fans have you sort of pointed the finger at the national team's football manager or rugby manager how many times as working in a school have you thought about well why aren't they had teacher done x y or z but actually, you're only seeing the tip of the iceberg, aren't oh, you? Completely. You're just seeing things from your perspective and what you think should happen. And actually, the sort of parameters and the world in which that person has to operate and the different nuances with it, you've got absolutely oh, no idea. Yeah. Is, is there a part of that, you reckon, that's that's been in the arena? Oh, I think we see it all the time. We don't want us going on behind closed doors, do we? No. We're dealing with multitude of kids, particularly third culture kids who... Uh, are moving countries every couple of years. They, they, they've not. They don't feel like they've got a sense of belonging, except maybe in that school that there is. But yeah, for me, the big thing there. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors, and you can't judge what's going on behind there. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think the higher you sort of go with school leadership, and the more experience you get, the more you start to see things and allow yourself to appreciate that other people's perspectives are just completely different to yours right um, and, and I think there's a skill to to appreciate in that and to allowing yourself to, to pause and to consider things from other people's point of view because you all we all get wound up when decisions are made in different ways there's a classic one in it the classic one that a member of staff comes in late now as someone who loves punctuality that winds me up. <laughs> and, and and I, can, I can attest I've been worked with Alan for so long. I'm 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 not as punctual as Alan is because Alan's military style with punctuality. And the the I think the only times you ever got really upset with me were when I was late. <laughs> it, it, it just for me, my the way I've been brought up and, and through my lived experiences, I, I like punctuality. And yeah, when that someone comes in late, if if, if I'm gonna Go and have a go straight away. Why are you late? Anything could have happened. I've got to seek to understand why that person was late. And it might not even have to be me that has that conversation. Yeah. And and this has happened in, in the last few weeks where I thought, steady on. We've got a, a structure in place. I'll just have a, a quiet word with the head of department. Can you just go and find out why that was the case? And then it comes back, oh, there, there was a, a childcare issue or there was a there's a car crash or whatever it might be, it wouldn't have helped me blundering in there like in thinking rhino. It just needed to settle. And I think that's something that you learn over time is that not everybody's <laughs> set your standards. 
there is things going on behind the scenes that you need to be aware about so it can help you understand why things are happening. So is it about respecting that person will be a bit more 2023 than the man in the arena, but is it about expecting, oh, sorry, um, is it about accepting that that person in the arena is is in their own arena and they're doing their best that they can and presuming positive intentions? Your example there strikes me as one of those where you're like, actually, don't be so quick to judge. Just, Just pause, just wait, just find the information that you need because that conversation about them being late you know, they, they, they can't undo that late, can they? No. they it, it can't they can't roll back time and be on time. So that's not going to go anywhere. Mm. So it's about, like you said, trying to find that reason why, seeing if there's some support or help you can give them. And then and then going back to that and having that clarifying conversation a little bit later if it's something that becomes a pattern. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and it's weird. I am a stickler for punctuality, but I'm often finding myself in the role that we do not getting to places as on time mm. the meetings because now I'm dealing does, with things. How does that sit? I don't know. It doesn't sit right with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. You're like, become a slave to your Google calendar and then you don't want your notification. I'm just like, ping, ping, ping. And yeah, it, I don't like it, but I now realise why often where we've worked with people who were late to meetings and it was because they're so busy. They, they, they're not intentionally being late. They are, they've been dealing with an issue which at that moment in time was more important than being on time to that meeting. So is, it, tough, it? is the key message there just trying to trying to find the information that you need before you start to weird in? Yeah, I reckon so. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What do you reckon about being in the arena and being vulnerable? Because it it does open you up to extreme vulnerability, doesn't it, when you're putting yourself out there? Well, again, let, let's take it back to our podcast, right? A lived experience and something we're literally in the arena in as we talk now. Yeah. You know, before we 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 ever put an episode out right at the beginning, we we ummed and ah for ages. Then when we put it out, it was cringy to listen to us. <laughs> and some people might still think it is now. Yeah. But you know, we're at a stage now where we feel a bit like we're starting again because this format's different. The way that we yeah. set up is different, where we are is different. We don't have a guest to speak to, we don't have a set of sort of questions and ideas and themes we're going to explore it's it's just like you said one of those chats we have while we're walking the dog and and we're doing it we're putting ourselves out there so you tell me how do you feel right now at this minute yeah it's different man and and we relate it back to doing our roles that we're we're probably in at school at the moment we we didn't know how to do the job. I don't think anybody goes into a job, do they, and knows how to do it. To Richard Branson, who says, say yes and work it out later. Yeah, yeah. and I, I love that. When he was on he was on the High Performance Podcast, he was, he was absolutely phenomenal. He just, have a go. Because you never know, do you? No. You never know. And I think Helen, Helen, when we interviewed her, said, look, we trust you to, we trust you, we know you've got the skills. You might not have them now, but yeah. you will develop them. And... And I think that's key for when we're looking at recruitment as well, is that people might not necessarily have the skill set initially, but if they're a good person and they're willing to work really hard, they'll develop them. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Getting good people in the room, they will learn those skills. So you almost want competent people that might be lacking experience, but at least they've got one of the two things. Uh, yeah, completely. I mean, we've looked at this before, haven't we? We've looked at good recruitment and we've looked at how we how we look for characteristics and good values over those skills. And if 
for your own experience, remember when we interviewed you for Manila? Yeah. You're, you're ahead of year, you've been working in the UK, and then yeah. all of a sudden you want to come out and be a director of sport in a very well-established, successful international school. You must have been shitting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll te tell you what, there are a couple of things that really come to mind when you talk about that. Um, the interviews are never particularly. I, I, I think I enjoy them much more now than I ever did. But I, I remember being being quite nervous back then. But I think getting to Manila, the biggest the biggest challenge when I got there was twofold. One was the sort of business side of being a director of sport that had nothing to do with pedagogy and schools, your external partnerships, mm -hmm. your budgets, your 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 accounting, your finance stuff, your your relationship with coaches. There was all that that was relatively sort of new to me. But then there was also the sort of um, curveball of oh by the way you're teaching year one <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I remember that and I was like right okay that. off we go here off we go here and Brenia Brown um, she calls them uh, arena moments these ideas of like that feeling of vulnerability in a snap moment yeah. and it might be you know going into that class with year one for the first time when you're uh, your whole entire previous experience of dealing with primary schools was yeah. going and visiting once or twice a year to to draft in the year sixes into the, <laughs> into the transition of, of year seven. So that was very, very different. Um, and then the other things that could be that, you know, it might be that clarifying conversation with that member of staff that's late and you might mm -hmm. be just as nervous as that member of staff yeah, that that's going to happen because you don't want to ball in there and judge. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it is your job to hold people accountable and, and you've got to inquire and you've got to maybe tread on toes and encroach to say, well, what is it that's happening and how can I help you? No, fully agree. I, I, that... <laughs> It's brought back memories of when I moved out to, to Qatar. And uh, yeah, that's it. You're teaching nursery, reception, year one, year two. I'm thinking, well, I'm really good with your 10 GCSE. <laughs> <laughs> what about you and the football team? Can I, can I have that? Please? <laughs> and I'm thinking, surely that's wrong now. When I get there, I'll just say, oh, I don't want to do that. I'll, I prefer a senior. They're like, all oh, right, now it's. Uh, it's not, it's, it's not really an option. It's, we all do it. Yeah. We all just crack on. And that's a massive, massive learning curve. And I think it's it's good for you in hindsight. You know, I remember the, I remember the head teacher saying, you, you're going to come out much better from this. At this point in time, you, you're probably going to be feeling like a, a duck out of water. But it, yeah, it, it was proved right in the end. It makes you a, a much better practitioner to see that journey from all the way from reception and, and nursery all the way through to year 13. And it's a different lens of that idea of being in the arena, isn't it? Because yeah. actually you're going into that arena to learn what they're feeling and then coming out and going into a different arena to see what they're feeling. And I know when I spoke to you, I know we chat every week um, in a more sort of formal basis in terms of what we're doing across our different campuses. But when I spoke to you a few weeks ago, you were, you were telling me that it's like, revolving doors at the minute you're going from a safeguarding meeting to literally two minutes later teaching a theory of yeah, theory, uh, of theory and knowledge session <laughs> to going out on the field to doing some PE yeah, to coming back and doing some mentoring with a child to dealing with a parent and a parent meeting and how, how do you deal with that because you are having to put yourself in you know in so many different pairs of shoes or yeah. to put so many different hats on we, we, we call it spinning plates don't we yeah and <laughs> I think that's the biggest challenge isn't it that's that's the whole thing about sense making. When we come back to the name of this this new series, we're constantly having to make sense, and within a, like that split transition of, as you say, I could be on the field on a duty, and the next minute I'm in a quite a 
complex safeguarding meeting and again and then I might then go and teach my TOK lesson. I don't know how we do it and I can't even put that into words. I just think it's just what we do. Do you know what I mean? It's like that's that's what we are and that's what we do. And I probably wouldn't have been able to do that many years ago because everything was focused on PE, weren't it? And you, you could go in and you can teach you in your comfort zone. I think now just you just accept that that's the new norm. <laughs> and, and one of the things I've, I've found in terms of like the new norm for us, obviously, we, we as deputy head teachers in, in senior school now, you're finding that your teaching load is less, the responsibility is higher, the, the accountability is much higher, mm -hmm. but your teaching load is less. And I think it's always important if we're talking about being in the arena, that there's the empathy for that teacher that does teach you 40 hours um, a week or your, your fortnight, depending yeah. on what your timetable does, that's maxed out that has reports for every single year group, that has SLCs for every single year group, that has introductory evenings for their tutor group and their year group, that has pastoral issues to deal with with their tutees. Like that's their, their jobs we've done and their, yeah. their, their situations we've been in, but we're not in that right now. Yeah. How True. important is it to, to remember that that arena is just as crucial as, as the arena oh. that, that we are in now? I don't think we're as far removed from it as some people have been in leadership for 10, 15 years, I still yeah, think we've got not, connections, yeah. you know what I mean? I still think we've got that. But we both still teach, which yeah. I think is a, is a big deal there. Yeah, completely. Uh, and we still do clubs. I think, I think if I were to advise any sort of young teachers coming through or wanting to get involved in leadership as well, is make sure you're on those clubs. And remember Simon Mann, who was still out doing rugby, who was principal of school. Did, did, his did, trousers did. and his shirt. <laughs> but it's my most enjoyable time of the day now, I must admit doing the volleyball at the moment, getting out and doing activities. It's just and teaching a year 10 or 11 core lessons. I really, really enjoy it because I now appreciate it more than when I was doing that all the time. I'll tell you, you do need empathy though. And I, I trailed a class, one class all around school last year. Empathy for the students when they're the sixth lesson day or the lunch and it's hot and the amount of time they sat down. Yeah. I don't know how they, we talk about transition. They have to transition between six different subjects, go to lunch, go to break, I'll try and get a bit of food in between. It's difficult for them. Like, I can't believe how, how, how well they do, mate, honestly. But those students are in the arena then, aren't they? Yeah, completely. They're fighting their own battles. They're doing their own things. So, yeah. so is what you're talking about here applying the same way to students then? That idea of not being judgmental, of having clarifying conversations, completely. of trying to come from a, a place of, support and presuming positive intentions. Completely, man. And, and Hazel, our wonderful counsellor, was talking yesterday about, um, well, sorry, on Thursday, about third culture kids. And in our environment here, what's going on behind the scenes is even more complex. And if you remember when we talked to, to Matthew Cowley, when he was a third culture kid, he, he had all sorts of complexities going on in his life. And it's only now as he's a, he's a man and he's out working in New Zealand now with a professional rugby team, he's starting to process that. So I think what goes on in that time, it doesn't necessarily mean anything at that point. It starts to happen further down their journey. When you get out of the arena and you've wiped yeah, the dust off. Well, that's it. And, and yeah, you've got to think about when you have their periods of reflection, when we're on holiday, there's some of our strongest sort of learning moments, aren't they? Yeah. But we know that from learning, don't we? We know that learning doesn't necessarily occur in the moment. It occurs when you're resting and you're, you're making those connections afterwards. And I think that there's a there's a key message in that. 
Is it Ant Middleton's book, The Fear Bubble? You probably yeah, yeah, about it. Is, yeah. that, is that right? Yeah. So he talks about in the fear bubble, doesn't he, where you're going to step into that moment of real vulnerability. You're going to step into that arena moment and you've every right to be scared, to be nervous, to be anxious. But before and after that, you don't know what's going to be there. So you can prepare and you can set yourself up, but the nerves and anxiety that you'll feel when you get in there, there's there's no point feeling them before. Now, easier said than done. Uh, yeah, right? much easier. How but, do you control that? But that's it. But sometimes I know that you're a real stickler for planning and organisation. And sometimes when you're going into some of these difficult conversations, meeting situations, you can be organized, you mm. can be planned, you can be logical and linear. Mm. At other times, you can't. As, as a guy who is, yeah. we know on that course we did last yeah. week, as a guy who is concrete, sequential, <laughs> and no. likes things in a certain <laughs> way, I think you were though, right? It was leaning towards that. <laughs> as, a, as a guy who likes things in a certain pattern, in a certain way, just how do, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the, the unknown sometimes? Yeah, that, it's funny because when we, I remember doing that years ago. What's that? The the, the thinking styles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're really good. So there's four types in there. Abstract, random, abstract, sequential, concrete, random, and concrete, sequential. Yeah, Is that I'm right? Yeah. Something like that, isn't it? And then yeah. you get your little graph. It's like yeah. a like a diamond sort of shape or a... An old remember, we, did it, we did it in the department in Manila. Years ago, yeah, we yeah. And we stuck them up on our, on our walls in front. And there were some people that were very similar. Yeah. Uh, there were some people that were were different, and I think the key to a good team there is having that diversity of thinking. And I do also think, even though I was leaning towards the, the concrete sequential, bang in the middle of concrete sequential. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel that I have become more abstract as I've got older. Yeah, and and going into leadership, I've had to be. I do certainly think that there's no black and white. If you remember, we've worked with a few people who've been very black and white, and I don't think there is. I think there's just shades of grey. I honestly do. I don't think there's lines in the sand that are so clear anymore. I think you've got to judge every situation and every person in their own context. And that was probably my biggest learning from doing um, from doing the master's course was, was context. Everything's about context. Context. I remember you talking about context. Well, we've talked about oh, context. Talked about on, I, didn't, I didn't feel as a young teacher I took my into account. It was just black, white, my way. That's not right. That's wrong. Got to do it this way. And now I'm, I've swung much more the other way. And and I'm, I'm comfortable with being wrong. Do you know what? I'm, all right with that. I'm comfortable. I'm going to te- test that with you because <laughs> the, 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 the podcast conversation we have next week. We're going to talk about non-negotiables. Ooh. And I'm going to ask you the question, is there such a thing as a non-negotiable? Yeah. Now, what are you going to do next week? We'll do that next week. All right. I think um, we're going to start to wrap up now and maybe sort of summarise where we're at. All right. Um, so we've talked about this idea of not being judgmental, about trying to um, be empathetic and to support and to help and to presume positive intentions. Um, what What advice would you give yourself, you know, looking back years and years ago, as a young man coming through university, what advice would you give yourself about being in the arena? Yeah, that's, I like that question. I think, for me, don't be asked about what the people think. Just bloody yeah. have a go. Care less. Yeah, yeah, care, yeah. yeah. Sometimes don't, it's good to care less, isn't it? I think of the youngster, yeah. yeah. I think, without a doubt. But there's also, I do think there's an, our job's all about caring. So it's, it's a, again, a continuum based there. I think the second thing for me is don't get wrapped up in perfection. 
And again, just bloody have a go. Mm. Don't be trying to put something out that's absolutely perfect. Just put it out there. It's all right. And then I think it was Helen that talked about this as well, is, is, is don't have regrets. And if you don't go for something, whether it's a job or whether it's going to a football team, going on a holiday, if you don't have a go, someone else will. And then you'll look at them and think, that could have been me. I, I think I did a lot of that when I was younger and I'm just trying to not do that anymore. Just have a go. That's my key. Have a go. Okay. What about you? Um, you know that idea of like regretting that you didn't do something? I always remember this. I was at, I was at a bar somewhere overseas. I can't remember where it was. It might have been in Jamaica years and years ago. And there was a, a cliff diving competition. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you're talking, you know, one of these cliffs. You need brass balls. They're not, they're not like five meters. They're pretty yeah. high, right? And I remember going up to the edge of this, and there's like people egging each other on, and there's, you know, people being a bit macho and flexing and showing things. And I remember going and sitting by the pool, and I can really consciously remember thinking, if I don't do this, <laughs> people are going to think I'm a bit of a weakling, right? I'm going to lose face, and I don't want that. And the overriding thought was the fear right. of, of of people thinking ill of me. Oh, wow. So I went and I just walked straight. I didn't dive, I'll be honest with you, I jumped. <laughs> <laughs> but I went and I walked straight off the edge of it and I jumped in and people are like, whoa, unbelievable. And I like got to the bottom and I'm like, <gasps> no, you do that. You come up for a breath and you walk back up and I'm shaking, like literally shaking, <laughs> like leaping. I'm like, do you know what? I've done it now. That's all That's that matters. Yeah. And almost the opposite to what you just said there, like, I was I was doing that for other people. It wasn't necessarily yeah. people pleasing, but it was the worry of what people might think if I didn't, rather okay. than actually asking myself, do I want to do this? Okay. So I think that's probably one side of it. It's saying, well, does this fit with who I am and what I want to do and what I want to achieve, rather than just because other people want me to. But that's that's experience as well. Isn't it? Yeah, of course. It is. As a youngster, it's all about others. Yeah. As I don't get older, it's about yourself. Like, all about others. You spend all your youth just trying yeah. to impress other people, don't you? And then I think as I got older. Um, I wrote a little note down as you were talking earlier, and it basically says in not so many words that we learn so much more when times are hard than when times are easy. And I think I would have probably told myself that a little bit more when I was younger, that, you know, embrace the hard times because they're, they're, they're rough and they're tough for a reason. But when you do come out the other end, which you invariably do yeah. because of the way that you want to move forward, the planning that you put in, the support that you get, the determination that you're showing, when you get to the other side of it, more often than not, actually, whatever it was that, you found difficult, um, you know, it actually shaped you and it helped you. And one of Steve Salis's lovely little throwaways, he loves a little one-liner. Steve Salis says, you either win or you learn, don't you? Yeah, yeah. There's no such thing as, as failure or losing. Yeah, yeah. You win or you learn. And, and I think that that's can be applied to sort of life situations and the things we're experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis. You either achieve success, however you frame it, or you learn something along the way and that changes what success is or it changes your journey towards success. That's a good one to finish on, mate. Win or you learn. You win or you learn. Good to chat, mate. Yeah. See you the next time. Ta-da.